This presentation has been previously broadcast. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Irrelevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio, where each day we seek to journey together into a deeper level of faith, supporting and encouraging one another with stories of our triumphs and, yeah, even stories of our defeats, and by receiving some good and holy guidance from our spiritual directors. My name is Patrick Conley. I'm sitting in for Josh Raymond today. I host a local show called Practicing Catholic for the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, which is aired on Relevant Radio locally in the Twin Cities. If you'd like to check that out, please do. You can go on over to practicingcatholicshow.com. Well, today here on this show, we're going to be talking about conscience. Conscience, what it is, the role that it plays in our spiritual lives, and specifically, we're going to be getting some good tips on how to better examine our conscience. Examination of conscience, it's not just for confession anymore. Guiding us through our discussion of the many aspects of conscience is our spiritual director for the day, Father Eric Nielsen. Father Eric is the pastor of the St. Paul University Catholic Center on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And he's been there at St. Paul's as pastor since 2006, and he's been a priest in the Diocese of Madison since 1995. Welcome, Father. It's good to be with you again. Well, Patrick, yeah, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Wisconsin, so happy to be with you. Absolutely. I'm coming from Wisconsin myself, and it is is a nice, although chilly, day uh, up here closer to the northern part of Wisconsin. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we are talking about uh, we are talking about conscience today. And I wanted to just get started defining our terms. Always a good thing to do. And uh, Father, what is a conscience? I mean, you hear conscience, and if people as old as I am, we start thinking about things maybe like Jiminy Cricket, and uh, we start uh, thinking about the angels and demons on our shoulders and things like that. Yeah. Well, what is conscience from a Catholic perspective? Yeah, that's a it's a great question. You know, and it, when you grew up uh, following your conscience, Jimmy your Cricket always meant that you had to do the difficult thing. Right. Nowadays, following your conscience means you get a free ticket to do whatever you feel like doing. Ah, so interesting. That's been, yeah, you know, just do whatever your conscience tells you. You know, and then oh, goody, you know, I, I can I can do it then, right? Mm-hmm. And so the conscience is based at its essence. It is the voice within every single human being that tells him that he must love what is good and hate what is evil. And everybody has a conscience. There's not a single person alive who does not have a conscience unless, you know, they haven't reached the age of reason yet. You know, animals do not have a conscience. Um, little children do not have a conscience. And just and when we look at that and we see that animals don't have a conscience and little children don't have a conscience, you're like, well, wait, Father. You know, my dog, when my dog poops on the floor, it looks at me. It knows it did something wrong. And, <laughs> right. You know, you know, and you're right. You know, it does. But it only knows that it deserves to be punished. It doesn't know why it did something wrong. It doesn't have the ability to reason to know why it's done something wrong. It's the same with little kids. You know, you can, you can emotionally teach little kids, you know, what's right and wrong. But 
that's just, okay, I don't do X because I get punished. If I do Y, I, you know, I get a cookie. You know, that's not a conscience. Um, your conscience is a moral judgment that you make in your intellect, not in your feelings, that tells you that this is the right thing to do and this is the wrong thing to do. So your conscience abides in your intellect. It doesn't abide in your feelings, although your feelings obviously can inform your conscience. You know, if you feel like something is wrong, like you did something wrong, then maybe your intellect looks at what you did and says, yeah, yeah, that, you know, it re- that was the wrong thing to do. But um, it, it's, it's, it, does, it doesn't show up in your emotions, your feelings. Your conscience is in your intellect. Pope um, Benedict had this kind of platonic idea that when you're created, you're created, you know, your soul, your, your intellect and your, your will, that, that's what puts you in the likeness and image of God. You have an intellect and a will that, you know, you're a person. Mm-hmm. And that was given to you through your soul. And when God created your soul, it was perfect. And when your soul was created, your intellect and will, your intellect kind of had this vision of God at its creation, which it instantly forgets as it becomes um, attached to the body. But when you see something that you know is wrong, it's your intellect kind of recalling this image of beauty and truth that it used to have directly and just realizing, okay, that doesn't match, you know, what I know to be right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff there, Father. And, and I think maybe we can delve a little bit more deeply into that whole that it resides, the conscience resides in our intellect and not in our feelings. That That really speaks to me, especially since... You know, like you were just saying, uh, a lot of times these this day and age, when you're given the liberty of doing whatever your conscience tells you to do, that seems to be equated more oftentimes with feelings when it comes to, oh, great, because uh, then, you know, because I enjoy this and I, I don't really feel guilty about it, then I can do it. But it's, uh, it's much more about uh, utilization of the intellect God has given us rather than the emotions or feelings is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're driving a car and a little boy's puppy runs out in front of your car and you run over it, you're obviously going to feel bad about it, right? But right. your intellect is going to tell you, you know, I, I, you know, that wasn't a sin. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, conversely, you can get really mad at your brother and slap him in the face and feel good about it. <laughs> you know, he deserved it. <laughs> you know, but but your intellect is, you know, going to tell you, no, that was, you know, that that, that was that was the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the wrong thing to do. I really shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really important because it goes with the fact that, you know, our feelings in a certain sense are educated as well. You know, if you grew up in a house where you were taught that, you know, it's evil to walk through the house with your shoes on, mm-hmm. you know, if you walked in a house with your shoes on, you'd, you'd, even though it was okay, you'd kind of feel bad about that, right? And so that's how your feelings, you know, our, our feelings are not trustworthy for that reason. They, um, a good, a perfect example of that is a lot of times, you know, a young woman will fall in love and through the, through, the, through the basis of being with this young man for a, for a period of time, you know, suddenly she starts bedding down with him, and it, it just feels like the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. But no, you're not married. It's the wrong thing to do, even though you know, if, you know, it feels so right. To, you know, half the songs about love, you know, tell us, right? And so, you know, we have. And the other thing too is when you when you do your examination of conscience. Um, you know, a lot of times just because you, you felt something really bad, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a sin. You know, to, to feel anger, to feel lust, to, you know, feel envy, to feel jealousy, to have these feelings isn't necessarily to sin. Mm. Um, and so if you have these, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. 
But in a certain sense, there's no sin in the smoke. There's only sin in the fire. Mm -hmm. So if you've kept that from bursting into flames by actually acting on those feelings, well, God bless you. You know, that's a victory. You you, you won that battle. You, you know, you felt this anger, but you didn't act on it. Right. Um, and so when we look at our sins, this, what we want to look at is, you know, what action did I do or not do? You know, and you can look at your feelings to kind of indicate, okay, I was feeling really angry, so maybe I should really look at that situation and say, yeah, I said this in a harsh tone, or yeah, I left the room when I should have stayed, or I slammed the door, you know, whatever the case may be. But um, we, we, that's why the examination of conscience is really kind of a certain sense of really work of art. Um, it's a struggle really really to, you know, look at that. And, um, but don't yeah. drive your priest crazy by confessing your feelings. <laughs> well, very good, very good. Uh, well, because it is such an art and that uh, we can grow in our skill and knowledge of this art, we're going to be dedicating a good portion of the show to examination of conscience. Just before we get there, though, Father, you've mentioned a couple times about forming, forming a conscience. And uh, I, I'm sure many of our astute Catholic yeah. listeners know that when it comes to conscience, you can have a well-formed conscience or you can have a poorly formed conscience. But talk a little bit about the process of how is a conscience formed and how can we uh, contribute to to a well-formed conscience? Yeah, you know, the um, it's very important to form your conscience. As the Lord said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And there's an interesting thing to look at. Luke 12, 47, um, you know, our, our Lord is talking about, you know, the, the servants that do the, the master's will and the servants that don't. And... Um, our Lord says, uh, the master of that servant will come on the day he does not expect and an hour he does not anticipate. Then he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knew his master's will but does not get ready or follow his instructions will be beaten with many blows. But the servant who unknowingly does things worthy of punishment will be beaten with few blows. So it says the person who unknowingly does things worthy of punishment will still be beaten. In other words, to do evil that we didn't know about is still, in a certain sense, we're held, we're held responsible for that because we should know it. Because the primary responsibility that we have as human persons is to seek the truth. And that's very much a part of our conscience. In your conscience, you need to know the truth. That's why we all hate being lied to, mm -hmm. because we, we, we're, we're made for the truth. And so we have this obligation to search for the truth and then to conform ourselves to the truth. So we have an obligation to seek the truth of the moral of the moral law, and your will, your will can only act according to what your intellect tells it to do, right? And so if your will, if your intellect says to your will, "Hey, we're not going to eat any cookies when you get home from work today because you know the cookies are for the party," or "I gave them up for Lent," and you come home, and your and your will looks wants those cookies, well, the intellect either says says, well, you can't have it, or the intellect makes up a rationalization and says, okay, well, yeah, you're, you're right, that wasn't a good idea. We'll, we'll start our, our Lenten observance tomorrow, you know, have a cookie. Uh -huh. So the stronger your intellect and the more it informs the will, the better of a person you will be. So you want your intellect to know what the truth is and to believe in the truth and in order to be able to tell your will, okay, well, this is what you get and this is what you don't get. You can think of it as a hot stove. You know, if your intellect really knows how hot that stove is, then the, then you're not going to touch it. If the intellect kind of thinks it's hot but doesn't really know, well, then then the will doesn't really care that much. And so if the intellect really knows 
that, you know, premarital sex is evil and will hurt you, will separate you from God, and will not help the relationship that you're in. Well, if the intellect really understands that truth and knows that truth, then it, then it can really inform the will, don't do that. Hmm. And so we have an obligation to form our intellect in the truth, and that's the beauty of the church, that's the beauty of the catechism. Um, that's even the beauty of going to confession, because the more you go to confession, um, the more easily your intellect is, is enlightened. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it really reveals a lot, too, about the importance of, as you were saying, of, of placing ourselves in, in God's hands, but uh, really being drawn into, uh, into the, the truth, which was, is what uh, contributes to the formation of our conscience. Let's ask our listeners, do you pay attention to your conscience? Do you listen to your conscience? Have you taken steps to immerse yourself in the truth so as to have a well-formed conscience? Maybe conscience has played a particularly poignant role in some significant decision in your life. If you have, or even if you just have a question about conscience or you need some advice in forming your conscience, give us a call. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149 is our phone number here on The Inner Life. We're going to take a short break, but after this, we'll be right back with more about conscience with our spiritual director, Father Eric Nielsen. Stay with us. Today, we'd like to thank James, who's listening in Oklahoma, for donating his Mini Cooper. Join thousands of other listeners in donating your old vehicle by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. Patrick Conley in for Josh Raymond and grateful for the opportunity today to be talking with you, all of our listeners, about conscience with our spiritual director, Father Eric Nielsen from the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, Father, you know, we've, we've laid some good groundwork for what conscience is and how we can form our consciences. But one of the things that we haven't yet gotten into was a whole examination of conscience. But I tell you what, let's just uh, put that put that on hold for just a moment because um, we we have a call that's come in and so let's uh, let's take that call. Marianne calling in from Edinburgh, Tennessee no, Tennessee, not Tennessee, Texas. Marianne, welcome to the inner life. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're definitely Texas over here. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, um, my niece is uh, uh, is uh, hang on um, is uh, is uh, has Oh, I, I, oh my gosh. Um, he's been ha- g- g- uh, having some difficulties with this young man who was trying to tell her that Catholicism is not the most, you know, the correct faith. And I know she won't change her faith, but is there something that, you know, that can, like a scripture or something that can be given to her to help her resolve or to have some sort of discourse with this young man? Well, um, you know, I'm not the I'm not the expert on go ask your father and that sort of thing. But I would just uh, get any book by uh, you know Scott Hahn on on Protestantism, or you can get uh, you know you know Born Fundamentalist, Born Again Catholic, um, Catholicism and Fundamentalism. I'd find her just a good book on apologetics. That um, if you ask your if you ask your pastor, he'd he'd have a whole list of good books on apologetics that. Um, you could give your daughter, and um, but there's no one scripture that's just going to make make the difference there. 
So other than um, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it there. That probably would be, <laughs> you know, the one that I would give. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not bad there, Father. I mean, that in and of itself is not bad. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, um, being steeped in, in the truth and helping to understand, I mean, that that really steers us right back into uh, into the topic at hand. So, I mean, we're, we immerse ourselves in the truth. That's what you were saying before the break, Father, in order to, in order to form our consciences. But let's really get into this whole idea of examination of conscience. I said in the intro, it's not just for, it's not just for breakfast anymore. No, it's not just for confession anymore. Um, but let's, uh, let's start with it. What is it? What is an examination of conscience? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's just at the end of the day, um, we examine our day and see how we're doing. And, you know, it goes all the way back to um, Socrates, who said the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, if you're not examining your life, if you're not seeing how you're doing, then you're not really um, living your life. You're just kind of moving through the day, reacting at the moment. And, you know, as we said before, kind of doing whatever feels good. But you have to really look back through the day. And there's another quote, too, from Aristotle that said, the unordered life is not worth examining. Hmm. So in other words, you know, if your life isn't ordered, if you're not trying to actually, you know, do good, then you're not really going to have anything to examine, to measure your life up against. Um, and so the first thing we want to do is we just want to have a structure to our day that in the things that I'm trying to do. And then at the end of the day, when you kneel down, you ask the guardian angel or and the Holy Spirit to help you. And just spend three to five minutes going through your day and say, how did I measure up to what um, I would have done if I was a saint? You know, mm. if I was a saint, what would I have done in this in this instant? Mm. Or what? And or what? And then you just see what did I do and what didn't I do? And, and that's your examination of conscience. And you should spend three or five minutes just really doing that. You know, if, like if Father Eric was a saint. You know, at the end of the day, what would I have done in that situation? Well, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't measure up. Yeah. And then you just make an act of contrition and tell God uh, you're, uh, you're sorry and make a good resolution for the next day. I just heard of this um, thing going around the, the student center here. It's called the 3 two, one rule, where every night you come up with three good things you did by God's grace and you thank God for those three things. And then the two things that you, that you didn't do well, you know, your examination of conscience, Mm-hmm. And then one resolution for the following day. Hmm. And then what I like to do is write down one concrete thing, one concrete sin. You know, I just write it down so that when I do go to confession, I have this list of sins that I've committed during, you know, the week. Um, and then from that list, I'll pick the three that I think are most embarrassing or the most pertinent or four or whatever. And, you know, I don't want to wear out my confessor with, you know, a lot of little sins and just say those because when you go to confession it's not so much the sin that you say that's important as much as it's the contrition and resolution of of doing better that really brings the grace you know out of that confession obviously you got to confess all your mortal sins and kind and number but when it comes to venial sins you know you don't want to wear the priest out again by just saying all these little venial sins you just and so that if you do that ideally then that's helping you to become a better person day by day and as i tell Married people, if you have a hard time really examining your conscience, just ask your spouse. They can probably do a pretty good, pretty good job for you. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no hiding there. And I got to say, though, Father, I, I, this is the first time I've heard, and I think it's it's rather brilliant, if I may say so. It's the first time I've heard that as the examination of conscience question, the, you know, what would I have done differently if I were saint Patrick rather than, yeah. uh, you know, radio host Patrick or whatever that might be, Patrick. right? To, 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 uh, to what would have, what would have been different? In fact, I got to tell you, I just went to confession this morning and now I'm feeling <laughs> like I got to go back. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause things started popping to mind right away. I'm well, probably wouldn't have done that. Uh, yeah, just a little caveat. If you suffer from scruples, maybe you don't want to maybe kind of go that route, you know. Yeah, so, but well, um, for, okay. for those of us who just have your normal robust self-esteem, I think that's that's an okay way to look at things. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. And I and I will trust in the graces of the sacrament because so far nothing that's popped to mind is in the mortal realm. It's all in the video realm. So. I'll just be contrite here at home until my next confession. All right. Very good. Well, again, uh, I think that's brilliant. And if you, too, as our listeners, if you uh, think that was insightful or if you have other ways of really uh, other questions that you ask yourself in examination of conscience, how often do you examine your own conscience? Uh, is it a regular part of your spiritual life? Give us a call. Join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. 888 Again, 888-914-9149. And I should mention, you can also send us an email. Life at relevantradio.com is our email address here at The Inner Life. We're speaking with Father Eric Nielsen about examination of conscience. And um, let's let's get into ex- especially that, Father, is that um, you've already, you mentioned the 321, um, uh, I don't know what, what you called it, uh, routine. Uh, but how often should one uh, examine their conscience? Well, we don't want to go through the day examining our conscience all the time because, you know, that just makes us um, self-centered and, you know, kind of too aware of ourselves. Because the goal during the day is just to love other people and, and to act according to the, how the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to act. Not that you do that perfectly, but, um, you know, unless something just really slaps you in the face while well, that was wrong, you know, when like when we'd say, I'm sorry I did that or I'm sorry I said that. But normally we only examine our conscience at night before we go to bed. And we should do that every night. So just, you know, three to five minutes every night and try not to do it in the horizontal position. You know, kneel down or sit in a chair or if you're super tired and you just want to stand up for a while. But, you know, there's no reason to omit an examination of conscience at the end of the day. And, um, you know, saying a little uh, or saying an act of contrition. Now, there's another um, helpful examine that some people do. It's not necessary, but it's, it's a great help, and that is to have a particular examine mm. where there's something you're trying to, there's a particular thing you're trying to do every day. Like, you know, today I'm really going to work at smiling everybody that I, that I approach. Or I'm really going to work at, you know, not snacking or something like that. And the particular examine you would do normally in the middle of the day, maybe around noon, or maybe when you say the Angelus, or maybe at three o'clock, and when you do the Chapel of Divine Mercy, and just, and then you just look at that particular thing and see how you're doing on that thing, and then you know, telling God you're sorry for not doing it better, and you know, asking for grace to do it better in the afternoon. So that would, and then then obviously you you do another examination of your conscience just before you would you would go to confession. So those are the three times that uh, we normally examine our conscience. Okay, and just just remind us of the goal here, because I think oftentimes, and maybe I may I am giving a, a, a bit to scrupulosity here, but uh, I, I guess the tendency that I find myself falling into is that when I when I examine my conscience in such a way, Father, I'm I'm uh, I become again 
not that I needed any particular reminder. Well, I guess I do, but to to be reminded of the ways in which I have fallen short. Um, but really, this isn't about uh, this isn't about beating oneself up here. Um, what? How? In what way does it really strengthen our relationship with the Lord? Does it really deepen our own life of faith? Well, the the, the first words out of our Lord's mouth, pretty much, and out of Saint and John the Baptist's mouth, is the word "repent." And so we have this obligation to repent because the Lord has not come to call righteous, but sinners. And so we need to see ourselves as sinners in need of God's mercy. But what we always want to do is recall, and then in the Psalms it says, my sins are always before me. And so we never want to give in to pride thinking that we've reached some plateau where we're holy now. And, you know, I'm just this good person who always does the right thing. We always want to keep that attitude of, you know, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Mm. And so when we look at our sins, we always look at our sins in the context of God's mercy. You know, to look at our sins and not see God's mercy is is to focus on ourself. And to, you know, if we get depressed at looking at our sinfulness, it's for, for, I would say, two reasons. We're not seeing our sins in the context of God's mercy and we're not we're we're seeing our sins in the context of not as something that has offended God, but as something that's made me less of the person that you know that I like to see myself as. Right? Uh-huh. I don't like to see myself as a sinner, yeah. um, and so when I see my sins, it makes me sad because I you know I don't like seeing myself that way. You know, when Saint Jose Maria passed away, his instructions on uh, for the people burying him was to put on his tombstone, you know, sinner. You know, he just the saints have a, pro, a profound experience of the fact that they're, that they're sinners. But they, again, they see that in the context of God's mercy, mercy and love. So the wrong way to do it is, is to beat yourself up while, you know, I, I'm never going to get this right. I'm this horrible person. You know, I, there, there, there's nothing I can do. And, and just look at yourself and be depressed about it. So the idea in seeing your sins is to realize that, you know, to humble oneself to realize that we need God's grace to do the good that we want to do, to ask God and to beg God for that grace, and then to trust completely, you know, in his mercy. St. Julian of Norwich says, we look at God, we see how beautiful he is. We look at ourselves, we see how we're not that beautiful, and we, we can't stop there. We, we got to look back at God and see his mercy and his love and to live in that context. You know, one way I like to tell sins is like if you went to a, dance and your dress was kind of torn and muddy and it wasn't nearly as good as the dresses that the other girls were wearing but the cutest guy there just couldn't take his eyes off you because he loved you you know you wouldn't care so much about the fact that your dress is ripped up and torn huh. yeah. and um you know that that's the way we are before god yeah yeah and that's uh that's a great reminder i especially like the the encouragement, the reminder that we are not to, yeah, we may see ourselves as uh, falling so short of God, but we can't stop there, right? We can't, we can't let our eyes, because that, that again, is just focusing in on, on us, on ourselves and putting uh, our focus on us rather than on God himself, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith, you know, keeping our eyes fixed on him. And that's uh, something that we are, we are told that's, 
that's what we're meant to do as followers of the Lord, is keep our eyes on him. We're speaking today with our spiritual director, Father Eric Nielsen, about conscience and the examination of conscience. If you have ways that examination of conscience has become a regular part of your spiritual life, we would love to hear some encouragement from you. We'd love to know what kind of fruit it's born in your spiritual life. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. Or if you're kind of just starting out, if you're thinking, ah, this sounds like something I could do, maybe it's a new discipline that you might want to start doing for Lent, um, and you're looking for some advice or some ways that you can really, uh, we can really, with the help of God, of course, succeed in that, give us a call and ask your questions of our spiritual director. Again, the, and the phone number is 888-914-9149, 914 um, you started, started talking about the saints there a little bit, Father, and uh, I'm, I'm curious, too, if uh, there are other ways that the saints can help us out in examination conscience, or if there's any particular saints that spring to mind. Uh, you mentioned St. Uh, Jose Maria, and on his tombstone it's saying sinner. Um, any other uh, advice from the saints that you can think of in and around examination of conscience? Well, if you really, if you, if you really want to examine your conscience well, I would say read um, um, Liguri, you know, and mm. so he's... He is uh, the founder, I think, of uh, of uh, of the moral theology, and uh, so Saint Alphonsus has written a number of books, and in those books, he kind of just really lays out, you know, the moral code. So you might you might want to look at him, but uh, you know, and always you could always read the Summa too, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. because the, the um, you know Thomas Aquinas lays out the moral code pretty well. But I would say that um, it, there's no real saint that really comes to mind. Um, I would say that if you admire a saint's virtue, you know, like you admire St. Francis's poverty, you admire the, you know, the purity of the virgin martyrs or of a blessed mother, you admire the fatherhood of St. Joseph, um, you know, the self-sacrifice of some of the um, women saints, especially, you know, the ones that were mothers, um, if, if you just really read a book about a saint and admire how they live their life, well, now you have a mirror of goodness by which to measure your life against. Right. And so that's where the saints are just so beneficial, to find yeah. a saint that, you know, lived a life very close to yours. Um, as a priest, the, the blessed, blessed Don Del Portillo, who was the second in command under St. Jose Maria and then took over St. Jose Maria, when you read the book about Del Portillo, you know, with St. Jose Maria, it's like, well, I can never be like St. Jose Maria. You know, he's a, he's a mystic and, you know, he's, just, you know, he's unreachable. But I take somebody like Del Portillo, even though I still learn from him, right, mm-hmm. as I can learn from the Blessed Mother. But I, I read this book on Del Portillo and he speaks to me because I'm like, wow, you know, I could do everything that Del Portillo did. I, you know, I, I'm not. <laughs> and, um, and I'm falling way short of that. And wow, that's really amazing what he just did there. But it's like, wow, you know, if I really, or I could really do that, you know what I mean? It seems reachable, you know? So um, I think we can find a saint that's similar, has a similar way of thinking that we do and lives a similar lifestyle that we have. That saint can really help us to measure, you know, our, our life against. I'm I'm really glad you mentioned that, Father, because I I will say that a lot of times when I find myself reading about the saints, and uh, it, these are not necessarily when I read extensive biographies, because those those tend to be a little bit more. Uh, I want to be careful with my wording here, but if I may say, they they seem to be a little bit more. Uh, 
realistic is kind of the word that's popping to mind. That's not what I mean, though. It's it's, it's closer to my own experience, I guess. That's that's yeah. what I want to say. Whereas a lot yeah. of times, if you just read this little snippet about somebody, and it's like, you know, it's almost like they went around, they were basically levitating their entire lives, and they, you know, they're, um, they never uh, turned their eyes downward at all. And, and, you know, it just seems so wholly unattainable that I tend to get more discouraged in reading those than, uh, than what you were saying about reading somebody who's, yeah, I can... I can aspire to this. Yeah. The thing about the saints, when you do read these things, the mistake you have to make is when you look at the extraordinary things that saints did, mm-hmm. um, they did those things because they were saints. But those weren't the things that made them saints. Hmm. They did those things because they had a particular grace from God to do those things, because, and their, that grace was given to them because of their holiness. Yeah. But it was a particular grace that was given them to do that particular thing. What made them a saint was the, those just normal, simple little things that you and I can do every day as well. Mm-hmm. It's just that they did them those little things in a very heroic, heroic way. Take something as simple as getting up on time. Yeah, I get up on time, da da da. da but every once in a while, I'm just a little lazy and I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're, you know, saints, no, they, they they're always getting up on time. You know, they're they're just very resolute. You know, that's what I'm going to do. You know, they're they're paying attention to their prayers as best they can, even even when they're super distracted and they got a lot of things. They're they're just the saints are really working hard at um, not giving in to distractions. Right. Um, and you know they suffer the same human disabilities that we do. They they just work really hard at overcoming them, mm-hmm. and you know in just very little ways. But that's not the fascinating thing to read. You know, the fascinating thing to read is that Padre Pio showed up. You know. In a cross cruciform position, flying o- over an airplane, trying right. not to drop bombs. <laughs> right. Anyway, you know, that's, you know that. <laughs> right, right, yes, yeah, right. No, it's but that it's didn't true. make him a saint. <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's a it's a good corrective. It really is because I think oftentimes we do read into that. We 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 start to there seems to be. Uh, again, just these two types of ways of reading it. One, it seems like the saints seem more distant to my own experience, and I and I find myself not despairing, but discouraged anyway about, you know, I'll never get there, that'll never be me, versus um, recalling what you were saying. No, but it was their focus on the Lord, and it was their openness to receiving whatever he had for them. Um, and, uh, yeah, great corrective there. Uh, but as we're—I don't want to get us too far off track here as we're talking about examination of conscience. And so to kind of steer us back in that general direction there, um, as you were saying, many of the saints can give us a good, a good, uh, yeah, kind of a good comparison or a good uh, a way of, of leading us into examining our conscience and asking that question, if we were a saint, if I was a saint— how, how would I have acted throughout this day? Um, I wanted, especially with Lent being just around the corner here, Father, I, I wanted to turn our attention to examination of conscience, particularly before confession. And one of the ways that uh, children, um, you know, children are, are going to be drawn into probably in their religious ed or CCD, they're going to be have some special times focused on confession. I know our second graders are getting ready to make their first confession, uh, that sort of thing. Any way that you would recommend for, say, parents to teach their children to examine their consciences? Yeah, that's. I think you can as a as a, as a parent. Um, you got to be a little careful because you can usually put ideas into little kids' heads. You know, I once um, in teaching, you know, how to go to confession as second graders, I did a mock confession with a, uh, you know, just with a fake confession. Okay. And um, I think a third of the kids confessed that thing that I put in the fake confession. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Yep. So Suge- you don't want to be a little kid. 
Yeah. You know, as Power suggests, you don't want to be abstract with little kids, you know. And you, you just got to be. And the thing is really particular. I mean, you know, little kids will come to you, know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. You know, I made my mommy mad. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what did you do to make your mommy? Well, I did something she told me not to do. Well, what did you do? Well, I, I hurt my little brother. Well, what did you do to hurt your little brother? Well, I, I, I hit him in the face. Well, that's the confession. You <laughs> know, you I go. hit my yeah. little brother in the face. You know what I mean? Right. And adults do that, too. You know, the, the, you know, the kids will come in and say, you know, I did something bad with my boyfriend. I'm like, well, did you burn a pizza? You know, what bad thing did you do? You know, we're always trying to make things more abstract than they need to be. Because trust me, when you, see, when you pass away and you're looking at our Lord face to face and you're seeing your life pass before your eyes, you're not going to see that you were a glutton. That's not what you're going to see. You're going to see the particular times that you ate three pieces of chocolate cake rather than just having one. You know, you're going you're to see those particular instances, and that's what you want to confess. And again, you don't want to confess all of them because that'll just that'll just, that'll just wear you out and the and the and the priest. But say those particular ones concretely that you're most embarrassed about, or you think are most grievous, or the ones you really need to work on. Now, I think with little kids, and you can do this until they start. And we got to be careful as adults. You know, once a child reaches the age of you know eleven, twelve, thirteen, they're they're adults. They're not full-fledged adults, but they're entering the adult world, and you you have to back off. You got to give them freedom. Um, you can make, but you got to treat them like an adult in a certain sense in the spiritual life. Um, but when they're little, you can examine their conscience for them at the end of the day and say, okay, you should tell God you're sorry now. Now, do you recall what you did today and what did I do wrong? Well, remember when you went into your sister's room and, and um, you know, took her doll without asking her? Do you, do you remember when, um, you know, your aunt was here and um, you told her that her haircut was ugly? Um, you know, you can just be very concrete with them and right. I think personally just, you know, help them remember that stuff. And obviously... You know, tell them that, um, you know, God's very merciful and you love them and give them a big kiss and say, all right, you know, God's forgiven you for these sins and I'll go to bed with a smile on your face. Um, and so I think that'd be a very, that's the way I would do it anyway if I was, if I was a father. Yeah, Yeah, you've definitely, I'm sure, helped many, many of your uh, spiritual children to form their consciences as you are. Even right now, our spiritual director here today on The Inner Life is Father Eric Nielsen from the Diocese of Madison, Wisconsin. We're talking about examination of conscience. We're going to take another short break, but when we come back, we'll have more on uh, helping others form their consciences. But if you have specifically a way that has been helpful for you in forming your children's consciences, we'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. We're going to be back right after this. Stay with us. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio. Patrick Conley filling in for Josh Raymond. My thanks to Nick Sentovich, our producer, and Cyrus Simcoe taking your phone calls today as we are speaking about examination of conscience. How do you go about examining your conscience? What's What are good uh, and healthy habits to form when we're forming our consciences, but also as we examine them 
not just in preparation for a, a formal confession, but also just in furthering our walk of faith each day. Our spiritual director, Father Eric Nielsen, is the pastor of St. Paul's University Catholic Center on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So, Father, just before the break there, we were speaking a little bit about parents and how they form, can form the consciences of their children, and I think that's uh, I think that's great. I'm also mindful, again, this being the holy season of Lent just coming up uh, next week here, we've got, uh, we've got lots of time, a, a time when Catholics really turn back to, they tend to be drawn back into spiritual things. And uh, some of them might be thinking, you know what, I haven't been to confession in a while, I need to get back to confession. But, but let's also be honest— there may be people out there who haven't been to confession in years, and uh, they're just wondering, okay, where do I even start in terms of an examination of conscience uh, if, I'm, if I'm feeling the tug to get back in the confessional, get back in the church, where do I even start? So any advice you would give for people who haven't been to confession in quite a while and how to examine the conscience? Yeah, first of all, don't be afraid, um, just because it can be a fearful thing to examine your conscience. It can hurt a little bit you haven't been used to looking at it. It's kind of like um, going to the dentist and having him discover cavities that you've been ignoring. Mm. And the other thing, too, is, um, you know, you hear, oh, Father, I can never go to confession. It takes too much time. And when they finally get in the confessional, it doesn't really take that much time. It takes, you know, five or six minutes. That, um, so what you want to do is I would go into a church and I would say a rosary or, you know, read maybe the Beatitudes or something like that. And um, you might want to read, you know, take with you a little examination of conscience and, and read through that. And I, I, people who just take the examination of conscience and then re- simply respond to the examine, you know, point by point, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. The, their, their examine sometimes can get a little wordy and kind of miss the point. The, the point is for you to feel contrition over the concrete things that you did. You know, not just quickly go through a big laundry list. And so I think really the preferred way is after you've prayed a little bit and maybe you've read a little uh, an examination of conscience to help you jog your mind a little bit, you just sit with that pad of paper in the church. Okay, Jesus, you know, what have I done in the last 10 years or five years really to offend you? Yeah. And, and just as the things come to mind, just write them down just very concretely. You know, I did this, I did this, I did this, or I didn't do this. Right. And not to be afraid to really look concretely at what that was. You know, if if you got a divorce, um, you don't want to confess, you know, I was just, you know, I, did, I ignored my wife. You know, it's like, okay, what did I do that really ignored her? You know, I, I, you know, I, I routinely did not come home you know, from work and went to a bar instead. Mm. You know, I mer- and I remember one particular instance where it was her birthday and I didn't get home till 8 o'clock or something like that, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, just really to, to look at those things really. Um, and just the way I mentioned that before, if you've got something you do routinely, it's okay to mention confession that you routinely do this, but it's also good to, to get something, as I just said, you know, something particular that really, Concrete. you know, stands out, right? Yep. Yep. And, of course, if you committed mortal sins like missing Mass or... Um, you know, watching pornography or anything like that, you've got to say, you know, how many times you did it. It doesn't have to be exact. It could just be, well, you know, I missed for 10 years there. I only went to Mass about five times a year, you know, whatever the case may be. We're not really looking to have an exact replay there, but just the confessor needs to know approximately how many times he committed each mortal sin. Right, right. 
Yeah, and good advice. I like the I like the idea and understanding that we do want to point to concrete particulars there, and again, just rather than just avoiding kind of a uh, a blanket statement that uh, really might even serve to mask some of those concrete particulars, and uh, and therefore you know kind of. Um, keep us somehow hidden in our own minds anyway from the Lord, who of course knows all that we do. Well, Father, we've got a phone call coming in here. So we've got Virginia, who's calling in from Orange, California. Virginia, welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have an 11-year-old daughter who doesn't want to go to confession. She gets very upset because she never feels like she's confessed everything. She just doubts that she got all her sins, and she takes a really, really long time examining her conscience, longer than I do. And even when she goes into the confessional, it takes her much longer to confess her sins, and she still comes out feeling like, I know I missed things, I didn't get everything. And so every time I tell her, well, we're going to go to confession, she blows up, she gets mad, she doesn't want to. And I just want to help her see that it's a good thing. Yeah, Virginia. Yeah, if I if I was going to confession like that, I wouldn't want to go either. So, you know, she just probably has a very sensitive conscience, and she has some um, scrupulosity going there. And so, uh, she might not trust you, but she could would probably trust a priest or you know find some religious leader that she trusts. It could be you, then um, to tell her, look, you only have to confess every sin that's mortal. God does not want you to confess every venial sin. Because the goal of the confession is not to confess every venial sin. The thing you could tell her is using holy water as you walk into church forgives you of all your venial sins. Um, the confiteor at Mass, when the priest, you know, at the end of the confiteor, that forgives all your venial sins. Re- receiving the Eucharist re- forgives you all of your venial sins. What you're trying to do in confession is just to say the three or four sins that you're most sorry about to get the added extra grace not to confess those sins again in the future. So that's why we, otherwise, we don't really technically need to go to confession to have our venial sins forgiven. We, we use the sacrament of confession because it helps us to overcome those sins. It gives us a greater grace to see our sinfulness, and it relieves us from some of the temporal punishment due to sin and purgatory that we'd otherwise have. So that's the benefit of going to confession when you only have venial sins. So I would tell her that, you know, just, honey, you know, fine, you don't have to go to confession because, you know, your sins are forgiven when you use holy water and receive the Eucharist. um, And you only have to go to confession if you commit a serious sin and you're not committing serious sins. But why don't you just go to confession and just confess three things? Because that's what most people do. They just confess a few things. Because you don't want to confess all of your sins. Because if you confess all of your sins, you drive yourself crazy and you, and, you, and you drive the priest crazy. And that's not what it's there for. And if you can get her to understand that, hopefully she can have a much better appreciation of the sacrament and come out a happier, a happier young girl. What do you think, Virginia? Does that make sense to you? I'm, I'm going to try that with her um, and, and let her know that she's, her venial sins are being forgiven when she... Uses holy water. I'm afraid she's going to start using holy water just obsessively or something. Um, yeah, I think you know she's yeah, she's suffering from scruples, and so that has its own. I mean, when I have people suffering from scruples, you know, they have to. Tr- the thing about people suffering from scruples is they need to have a spiritual leader that they trust. Okay, that's the number one thing, and then. 
that's why they might not. Tr- she might not trust you as a spiritual leader. You know, maybe you're, she might see you as being too soft on yourself or something like that. So find a priest that or, or a nun that she really looks up to and explain to nun this situation and just say. Because when I have somebody who trusts me as scrupulous, I can say, look, you know, if they're worried about mortal sins, I say, it's only a mortal sin if you absolutely know it's a mortal sin. If you don't absolutely know it's a mortal sin, it's not a mortal sin. You don't say that to someone who has a lax conscience, but you can say that to somebody who's scrupulous. The other thing you can do to somebody who's scrupulous is say, look, you, oh, God only wants you to really say three sins every time you come to confession. So just say three. You have to trust in God's mercy. So she, you know, scrupulous people don't really have a firm trust in God's mercy, and they're also struggling from a little OCD that's manifesting itself, you know, in the in the confessional. And there's there's few things more psychologically debilitating than you know somewhere the OCD is also very religious, you know, because those two things put together just can really really crush a person. So she might even need a little counseling somewhere to overcome some OCD that she's developing. Well, I'm grateful, Virginia, for your for your call. I'm grateful for sharing your story with us, and I'm and I'm. We will be in prayer for uh, for your daughter, and and pray that she is uh, someone who can, yeah, respond to some of these things, and pray that as you as you uh, try some of Father's suggestions, that uh, she can respond in faith and love, and you can really see that bear fruit in her life. So, thanks for calling in, Virginia. I appreciate that. And Father, I'm, I'm too, I'm thinking about, uh, again, as we do approach uh, examination of conscience in light of a, an impending confession, a time in the confessional as well, some interesting points you brought up there about, uh, for the overly scrupulous at least, that you can, you can trust in God's mercy, that you can uh, only say uh, three sins. That's very <laughs> interesting, interesting advice, and, and I had not heard that before. Um, but, uh, yeah, perhaps there is something that, uh, that I, well, I guess you've said it already. It really, the whole point of confession is our contrition and then our reception of God's grace, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to say your mortal, just to repeat, you have to say your mortal sins in kind of number. Outside of that, the main point of regular confession is the contrition that you feel for particular things and the firm purpose amendment that you have to overcome them for the love of God. Okay, as we say in the act of contrition, you know, because I fear the loss of heaven, the pains of hell, but mostly because they offend you, my God. And so if your confessions aren't leading you to a greater love of God, there's something not quite right with your confession. And that doesn't mean you should stop going to confession. It just means you should re-examine how you're going to confession and how you're using the sacrament. You know, you don't want to use the sacrament as if it's just some kind of a vitamin pill that you take or, it's you know, you're getting right. vaccinated against something. Sure. You know, all the sacraments require faith. Without your faith, the sacraments, they, they don't have any power to them. I mean, they have power, but that power is, 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 is not accessible by yourself. In order to access the power of the sacraments, you have to come with your faith. In the sacrament of confession, your faith is your contrition and the act and, and doing good. That's why Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel, right? Right. And so we want to come with that feeling of repentance, and that's what brings God's grace into our hearts through the sacrament. Amen. Father Eric Nielsen has been our spiritual director today here on The Inner Life. Father, as you know, we always like to end with a blessing, if you would, please. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we heard through Paul VI, uh, the greatest sin of our age is a loss of a sense of sin. Help us in your mercy to know our sinfulness, to bring it to confession, and ever to trust in your greater mercy. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Father. We appreciate your time with us. Thank you for joining us here on The Inner Life. Uh, Come back with us tomorrow as we're speaking with Father Sam Martin on Christian Joy, Is It Possible? Coming up right now is the Holy Sacrifice on the Mass with Father Matt Seminar. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Inner Life. May God bless you and your day.